You can just see how slow the speed of innovation is with these companies that have, like you said, a lot to lose and lots of processes. You're just like moving really quickly through a forest and your competitors are trying to knock down every tree as they move forward. And you're just kind of going from point A to point B as fast as possible. This is Finding Your Venture episode number 10. Do the most important things first. When you start your company, people who care about you are going to want to help. And so they're going to point out competitors that are doing the same kinds of things you are. They're going to ask you questions about your IP and about your strategy and about your progress. And it's not going to help and it's going to be super annoying because you're already feeling overwhelmed by all the things you have to do. Your only hope is to somehow pick which things are most important and focus on them first. When we do it in class, we fill up a whole room full of whiteboards with all the things that you have to do. And then we pared that giant list down to a handful of things that matter the most right now. It's not ever gonna be a perfect science, but this process is essential for getting unstuck. And the goal is to validate your key assumptions as quickly as possible and modify your plans as you go. You're gonna hear how Jeff Mason used this strategy to outmaneuver the biggest companies in the insurance industry. Jeff has had a successful career in the insurance industry, and then he left to start a technology company called GroundSpeed Analytics that has become one of the fastest growing companies in the Midwest. GroundSpeed uses artificial intelligence to digitize insurance records, and the company went from an idea to raising a $30 million Series B in two and a half years. Coincidentally, Jeff is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet, and we met at GroundSpeed headquarters in Ann Arbor. There's four sections to this episode, and in this first one, you're going to hear a little bit about Jeff and what drew him to this opportunity. Yeah, you know, when I listen to um, other entrepreneurs talk about their stories, the things that I like the most are the you know, the backstory or the, you know, hero formation story or whatever. doesn't matter how many times I see Spider-Man. I like it when he gets bitten by the spider and, you know, finds his superpowers and starts flying around the city. I certainly don't have any superpowers, but I left a job and, and in some ways a career because I was bored and I wanted to do something on my own and I was getting older. And unlike the people in this class, I guess, I, I thought if I didn't do it now, then I, I wouldn't be able to do it. And so I left and had this idea around really monetizing data in insurance. But I, I didn't think it was going to work. I didn't think it wasn't going to work. I was sort of neutral on the idea. I d did have confidence in my ability to sell things to others because I had done that for a long time. And actually, since I was actually a, a kid, I was able to see what I thought was some kind of like opportunity to sell something and to make some money. And it really didn't matter for me, like where I was, what industry I was in. When I was in college as well, I this is when we had school newspaper. This company, um, it's actually now bankrupt, but it was called Stephen Barry's Clothing Store. Stephen Shore came to me. He had an East Lansing store and said, hey, I, I want you guys to print these inserts that I would put into the state news. And it was basically an eight and a half by 11 pink piece of paper with, you know, Stephen Barry's sale. And they would slip it into every state news newspaper. And when there was a sale, you could see these things like in the on the sidewalks because the people would open up the newspaper and this thing would fall to the ground. And so we were just, I was running this copy shop in college and, and we would print or copy the, the Stephen Barry sale on these pink pieces of paper. But it was on one side and I saw the other side. I'm like, the other side's open. Why don't we sell space on the other side? And so I talked to Stephen Shore. He's like, sure, that's fine. And so then I went up and down Grand River and sold 
the other side and sold it in like no time at all, right? Because it was pretty expensive to get the one side and the other side then was pretty much open. And it got so popular that I was able to put five and six of these pages into the state news every week. Um, and it got so popular, in fact, that state news no longer accepted inserts. <laughs> And so I guess going back to college, you know, I smell an opportunity and you just jump on it. And you don't really have any, it's not like I thought I was going to make a million dollars off this thing. So Jeff had reason to be confident, but when he left his career, it could have been really overwhelming for him and it was a risky thing to do. So the way he approached it is he didn't try to do everything at once. He looked ahead and came up with one really important inflection point that he needed to get to and he'd tackle that one and then he'd move on to the next one. So in this next section, let's listen to Jeff talk about the series of hurdles that he cleared in getting ground speed off the ground. And so the same thing happened in Ground Speed, which is the company I started, where I, I saw kind of the, the shape of an opportunity and I had confidence that I could sell things to people. And then I just kind of took the next step. And I think, Brian, that's what you wanted me to talk about, kind of breaking down a problem into what the, the most material next step is, especially when you're faced with, I mean, it's almost endless opportunities. For me, I, I think people underestimate the power of optics and, and marketing and communication, I guess. I saw that... Although I knew, I think, the industry better than anyone at Spark, for instance, I thought the optics of going through Spark was helpful. And so I went through the Spark program in Ann Arbor, which was an incubator accelerator. But then, you know, I saw the next step is, you know, completing that, what they called the boot camp. And then the next step was, you know, forming the company. Uh, and we formed the company. We had to pick a name. And then we... The next step after that was like, what are we going to do to raise money? And so I had an idea around kind of an MVP. And then we just built this MVP really with the one goal of raising the next round, right? And we built the MVP in line with the expectations of the next round, which was an angel round. So really wasn't much to it. We just needed to prove that we could do this kind of fundamental thing that we do with data. And then I, uh, we built this thing. We raised that round. And you understand that there's so many other things that I should have been doing. Uh, should have, I don't know. Uh, how about this? There are many other things I could have been doing. I don't know, formalizing our revenue strategy and plan and our distribution model and our hiring plan and you know HR concerns and legal concerns and IP protection and, you know, if you want to think of it, like equity arrangements and option pools and all this other stuff. And to me, those weren't, weren't essential, right? The essential thing was taking this MVP and selling it to somebody. I knew that there was a, a material difference between a company or an idea that was pre-revenue and one that was post-revenue. And I also knew that it was it was really binary. It was like a light switch that turned on and it almost didn't have to do with how much revenue. And so I had a, a few prospects on the line and I think I pr proposed like $24,000 for an annual subscription to, to one company. And the guy pretty much laughed me off the phone. And, and so I, I said, hey, you know, it's really important for us to be post-revenue. <laughs> what What is this worth to you? And he said, look, I'll, I'll pay you $1,000 a year. I'm like, done, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so I went from $24,000 to 1000 because the other, frankly, the other $23,000 in value or more was in the fact that I had revenue. 
And then I was able to take this concept of being post-revenue. And so now there are lots of other considerations that I did not. It's not like I didn't contemplate them. I, I, I contemplated them and the shape of those problems, but I did not engage deeply into, you know, what would happen if, uh, you know, we got 100 clients or what would happen if this one client increased his utilization to a point in which, you know, it was 3x what we thought it was going to be. Uh, to me, those are problems down the road and not problems today. My problem today was that I, you know, I needed money to keep the lights on. And so I was able to take that, you know, revenue statement and, and go raise a little bit of money. And then with that little bit of money, I hired some more developers and then took largely the same MVP, but I, I was able to use the money and the growing team as levers and frankly um, tools and marketing to get the message out i guess about what we did and then i mean it, it was actually very very rapid from from then i mean i went from idea to uh 30 million dollar series b in like two and a half years so jeff's having all this success and ground speed is growing like crazy so does that mean that they don't have any problems no way man but they're winners problems now they have customers and experience and a track record and money, and so they can go back and build the type of foundation that they want to build the future of their company on. They didn't have that luxury when they were starting. And even though now there's a lot of work, they know that there's a lot of value in these tools that they're building. So Brian, you're here in the office, right? We have a team of 85 and <laughs> the engineering team is like, why did he do it this way? And yeah. the answer is because we had to. Yeah, because we <laughs> had to or because we we did it that way. You know, let, whether or not we had to, it's the way we did it. Um, and so now we're, frankly, dealing with, you know, scalability issues and infrastructure, you know, robustness or resiliency. A lot of this stuff is because of the way we built things um, back in 2016 because, you know, we had two developers and, and we had a big sales presentation in three days so we stayed up all night for three days and and then pitched okay here is the coolest part as a startup your ability to focus on only the number one most important thing and forget about everything else isn't just okay it's actually your competitive advantage big companies can't do that if you work at a big company and you don't think of everything and plan for everything you might look bad you might get fired as a leader of that organization shareholders might think you're doing a bad job and so you have to worry about everything and you have to plan for every contingency and the result is that you move more slowly than your startup competitor now you have a zillion other advantages but in this one way startups have the advantage and so my message here is don't give that advantage up don't act like a big company and get bogged down with all the things that you're going to have to do. And in this next section, we're going to hear about how Jeff did that with GroundSpeed. We had an early proof of concept with a large company, really large company. And the whole thing was just a miracle that we were even in the running. And the task ahead of us was impossible, I thought. And I told the team, I said, look, failure is not an option here. I mean, if we fail, we're out, we're out of business. So we're going, to, we're going to succeed and we're going to do this thing. And it was actually about... What we do is we read insurance documents like human beings with our AI platform, and they sent us like 50,000 documents that we had to to read and then deliver the data. And I, we didn't know this at the time. We were told this after the fact, but it turned out that we were in a bake-off, and we were in a bake-off against two companies that had 50,000 employees each. <laughs> and we had five. <laughs> and we got to data before they got to proposal. Yeah. Right. And I wound up talking to one of the guys who was on the other company, who was like the account manager or the sales engineer or somebody. 
ran into him at a conference. He said that they were just so blown away that we were able to move so fast. They just like put up their hands and said, we can't do that. And I thought, you know, that's a good example of you just wing it, right? I mean, you're right, Brian. Like, what do you have to lose? And it goes back to like when I said that I was kind of neutral on the opportunity. Look, it's obviously a defense mechanism, right? Because you can't say, this is my entire dream. And if this dream fails, I'm I'm crushed and my soul is, is depleted. And I will, you know, curl up in some ball under the desk or something. But I just said, hey, look, let's do this next thing. Let's see how it goes. And we would do that next thing. And they're like, oh, wow, that went better than I thought. Let's do this next thing. And I kept saying, to be honest, uh, it's my personality. I kept saying, you know, it's not going to work, but let's just do this next thing. And so people would ask me, how's it going at ground speed? I'm like, yeah, it's not going to work, but, you know, we're going to do this next thing. And then, like I was saying, Brian, six next things later, you look back and you're like, huh. I'm six and oh, you know, maybe, no, no, it's still not going to work, right? <laughs> and and I have to say that still part of me, like, looks back and we're, I don't know, call it 70 and 20, whatever it is at this point. Part of me is like, hey, you know, it's still not going to work. <laughs> you know, I think the 85 people in my office would probably hope that I have a different attitude. But it's about really, like you said, you know, when you were describing that, it felt like you're just like moving really quickly through a forest and your competitors are trying to knock down every tree as they move forward. And you're just kind of going from point A to point B as fast as possible. Um, and we work with big companies now. So some of our, you know, billions and billions of dollars in revenue. Everyone we work with is really, really smart um, and committed. But, you know, every meeting that we're in, there's 17 people on the other side and they have to like have a consensus, I guess. And then we're in another meeting and there's another 17 people, different 17 people with the same company. And you can just see how slow the speed of, of innovation is with, with these companies that have, like you said, a lot to lose and lots of processes because it's really hard to run a company of 50,000 people or something. I wouldn't even know how to do that. Jeff, you're incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your story. At this rate, maybe Ground Speed will be a 50,000 person company at some point. There are going to be three more episodes in this first series of the Finding Your Venture podcast. We're going to cover legal, how to build a team, and how to be a creative fundraiser. Thank you for listening.